Welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast, where marketers come to look themselves in the mirror and discover how to unlock their superpowers. In this episode, we lower the veil on consumer trust and ask ourselves, can we regain it? Tech titan and social change maker Allison Capin joins us to take a look at the state of consumer trust and learn how to mobilize audiences to drive true social change. Allison Capin has been named one of the most influential women in tech by Fast Company, a tech titan by The Washingtonian, and one of the top 30 women entrepreneurs to follow on Twitter by Forbes for her leadership roles in technology and social media. Allison is the co-founder of Rad Campaign and has helped hundreds of organizations and causes build hard-hitting campaigns and compelling websites focused on increasing advocacy, donations, and community engagement. She is passionate about the intersection of social change with online technologies and social communities, a topic that she deeply explores in her nonprofit best-selling book, Social Change Anytime, Everywhere. You can learn more at radcampaign.com. Jeff Livingston is the founder of Livingston Campaigns and Livingston Photography. He's a marketing leader, a buzz creator, a published author, and a social fundraiser. As an online marketer and social fundraiser, Jeff has helped brands and nonprofits raise more than $225 million online. And now he leverages the gig economy to make CMO level talent and marketing project execution available for companies of all sizes. You can learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And that brings us to me. I'm Nicole Kelly, the founder of the Conscious Marketing Institute a marketing visionary, industry innovator, and quantum healer. I have a track record for creating evolutionary change in the marketing industry. As an early pioneer in social media measurement, I wrote the book, How to Measure Social Media, and created many of the data standards that are still in use today. But then, life took an interesting turn, and after three minor strokes and a near-death experience that were caused from over three decades on the hamster wheel of success, I founded the Conscious Marketing Institute, where we have a mission to inspire marketers to unlock their superpowers so together we can help humanity step into its full potential. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Please join Jeff and I in a warm welcome for today's guests, and together let's create an industry-wide evolution of consciousness. Hi, and welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about consumer trust with the big question being, can we regain it? I'm joined today with Jeff Livingston and Allison Capin. Is that, how you, that, is that the correct way to say your last name? It's Capin. Capin. I felt like I was messing it up. <laughs> it should come with the, the K should have like the little cape on the back. Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying incorporating that. Okay. <laughs> you can have your own font. Exactly. So um, today we're going to be talking about something really interesting. We've talked about data privacy and all of the scandal around Cambridge Analytica before. Now we're going to take a different kind of approach to this. And what we're going to talk about is specifically consumer trust, because the whole conversation that we've had in the past about data and data privacy and what we can do versus what we should do and what consumers know we do versus what we actually do really comes down to whether or not consumers will be able to trust us to one, treat their data with integrity, to two, treat their inbox with integrity, Mm -hmm. and three, 
um, will, you know, can they trust us to do the right thing? Ultimately, it's a big integrity question right now throughout the industry. So I found some, um, just like some interesting kind of stats that I thought were really interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them that I wanted to read for us today is that uh, a new Forrester report predicted that 2018 will be a year of reckoning for many brands as they face the facts that consumers might not love them as much as they thought they did. <laughs> this, and this article was from November of 2017. <laughs> and flash forward to now, it's like, wow, did they have a crystal ball or something? <laughs> right after that is when this whole Cambridge Analytica thing kind of started coming out. Right. Um, Another conversation is really talking about customer experience scores they've stalled, um, where not a single brand has significantly improved its trust and experience score from 2016. So we're now almost two years past the last survey, and that no one's scores are improving. They're continuing to either stay flat or decline. And so there's definitely this shift of conversation of where consumers are in relation to brands. Um, and then when we start to look at what is it they want from us? Uh, this was a really nice quote that says, according to data, brands that own their values like Apple and Chick-fil-A will break away from the companies that merely borrow them. And that's really what this show is all about, is looking at our values as an industry for the companies that we work for and really owning those values and living into them versus just speaking about them. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. And for today, the first question is, do you think it's possible to win back consumer trust? So I think it's possible to win back consumer trust, but I think it's going to take a lot of work by the C-suite getting really intentional about making changes in the ways that companies are collecting data on their customers and frankly, selling that data to advertisers, right? You know, right now it hasn't been a very transparent process. I think Things are starting to slowly get better because there's been a lot of public pressure to do that by companies ever since the Cambridge Analytica debacle, um, obviously uh, the U.S. elections. Um, but much of the much of the uh, this information about how companies are collecting data is really buried in legal jargon in the terms of service. And that's not something that an ordinary person can understand unless you are a contract attorney, and not many of us are. So I think that there are some definite challenges uh, that need to be addressed. Um, and then I also think when there's a data breach um, that exposes people's data, we've seen a lot of data breaches over the last just even two years. And there's so little accountability that's happening by the companies, that's happening by the government. And so all of these issues really need to be addressed and they need to be addressed ASAP because if they're not, then I think we're kind of going down a path where you're not going to be able to win back consumer trust. Jeff, what do you think? Um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think like one of the problems that we have right now, in addition to the whole privacy issue is like a, just a general approach of exploitation of people mm -hmm. uh, online at least. And that's because they're the product, right? We are the product. Uh, the technology is advancing to allow uh, at least close to one-to-one. -one. I mean, we're getting to the point now where account-based marketing is pretty prevalent on the enterprise side. For those of you that don't know what account-based marketing is, that's when, let's say, a company like Salesforce says, 
we have to win Procter and Gamble. So we're going to run a whole bunch of content towards people that work at Procter and Gamble specifically in Cincinnati and their satellite offices. Uh, and they're able to target that through the database marketing. Um, long story short though, I mean, what's happening is that people are finding themselves assaulted with communications from brands, uh, trying to get them to trigger and that's happening everywhere, right? That's happening in their email. That's happening in their social ads. That's happening in their, uh, web browsing, it's happening on their doorstop in some cases, depending if whether or not people are willing to invest. And it's just, it's just big turnoff, you know? And, yeah. you know, it's funny. I was taking a, a, a HubSpot training this weekend just to get certified, and I was looking at some of their recommended success rates, which I thought were, you know, I don't know. But besides that, I mean, if you're looking at like a 1% or 2% success rate with your communication or your 20% success rate on your landing page, you're also pissing off 80% of people that land there probably or somewhere less than that. Uh, you're, you're angering 80% of people receiving your email or maybe just they're deleting you because they're just so tired of receiving communications from you. And I, and I think we just never, ever look at that, right? We only look at the right. throughput rate. And when it's all about conversion rates and it's not at all about uh, relationships and value and uh, community building, there, there's an issue. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think it comes down to a couple of pieces of it, right? It's like, what are you doing with data behind the scenes? What are you, how, how are you targeting me? Like, that's where it really starts. Like, how are you targeting me? What do you know about me? What do I know that you know about me? And then when you are reaching out to me, are you continuing to be respectful of our relationship? Because obviously I've done something you want, which is I've signed up for something. I've, I've triggered and said, hey, I'm kind of interested in what you have. Mm -hmm. And then behind that, it's almost like we have dehumanized our customers to the point of being these statistics that we don't necessarily take into account the full impact we have on for example, their inbox. And I can use uh, an example where I was talking to a client one time and they have a very robust marketing campaign. It's a very direct sale online company. And it's like when you would sign up for one thing that was free, they would put you on a list and then you would sign up for something else that was free, which they were always releasing awesome free content. You would get put on another list. And I said, does any, do you have a system that looks across to see that someone's not getting 27 emails from you in the morning? Right. And it was like, oh, well, no, we just assume that if they signed up, they want that. And it's like, well, I definitely didn't know I was going to get that. And even as much as I love your content, I unsubscribe because you send so many emails and it follows this formula where if you're signed up for multiple programs, you get like 27 emails. And I think that's another area of trust where we could really expand our awareness around is, are we respecting the customer on the other side of this equation that they, they have converted? What, how are you treating me now? Are you treating me like, you know, somebody who's just there to buy, or are you treating me like a friend of the family? Right. Yeah, it's interesting in the political space, um, there's actually not a lot of respect for, for donors. Um, there are some very, very large political organizations that basically somehow you have joined a list and then they keep reselling your name to other 
political candidates um, that, you know, you may be a Democrat or a Republican, and they, they continue to sell your names without your permission. It is absolutely outrageous. Yeah. And then you find that you can't unsubscribe enough from these lists because your name keeps getting resold. And on the other side of that, we have an organization, I won't mention them by name, they do amazing, amazing work, but they absolutely treat their donors like ATM machines. They can email them, you know, up to five times a week. And then when I when I talked with them for, for some of our research around around this issue, you know, they have really found that in order for them to meet their budget and to raise money to support their social justice issues, this is what they need to do. And they frankly don't care about pissing off eight, the other 80% of people on their list because they feel like, well, if you're not going to donate to us or be a part of our organization in some active way, then we don't really care about pissing you off. I think that's a really shitty attitude, <laughs> but it, it's also what they claim that they need to do to stay alive as, you know, this really big social justice nonprofit. Right. So what, like, what would you recommend? Because a lot of this is perspective, right? In that the people who are making the decisions who are, they're, they're being held accountable to these numbers by somebody. And so they feel trapped between the number and the customer or the donor. So what would you like what do you think they need to understand in order to see that that this consumer trust this donor trust is really important and what kind of simple things like tactical things could they do differently that mm -hmm. would make an impact so right now i think one of the things that that leadership whether it's a it's a nonprofit a for-profit corporation whatever your entity may be is that they need to understand that only 3% of Americans have a lot of trust in social media and tech companies to protect their data and privacy and that's according to our recent poll that we did on the state of social media and online privacy obviously this didn't get in the polling didn't get into nonprofits and other types of businesses but i can tell you because in in today even if you're a nonprofit your operations in terms of how you market to people you are putting tons of resources into social media and the tech products that you use. So I would feel comfortable saying that probably there is still a lot of little trust, um, even if you are a nonprofit and not a social media or tech company. We also found it in our survey that 54% of Americans surveyed feel that foreign bodies are going to have an influence on the upcoming 2000 midterm elections by the propagation of content on social networks like Facebook. And this was a really, really crazy statistic. 70% of millennials are concerned about the spread of fake news on social media by friends and family. So those are some really, really scary statistics that I think that social media platforms, tech companies, any type of company that is dealing with information needs to be aware of and concerned about they are not contributing to this issue. And second, if you are a Facebook, a Twitter, a tech company, they need to get on board right now figuring out how they are going to address this before midterm elections. And it's not just about our elections, it's elections that happen all over the world. 
I mean, there hasn't been as much coverage about this, but it, there are countries where Facebook is having a huge negative impact on, on, that, on the spread of fake news. Um, violence is happening in other countries because of the spread of fake news. And for a long time, Facebook, frankly, ignored that until it became a little bit more prominent in the media and there was some pressure put on them. So a lot of work to be done. And then in terms of tactics, like I said before, I think it's really up to the most senior leadership of these organizations to start becoming a lot more intentional about protecting people's data and figuring out alternative models off of profiting so much personal data that they are collecting and, and, and should stop collecting. And they also need to be a lot more transparent and disclose the data that they collect and to close those loopholes on their platforms and websites to ensure that third parties can't harvest that data. So those are a few of the, the tactics that I think that these companies need to start addressing. I was going to say um, one quick thing is to auto unsubscribe people. Um, when they don't respond after a period of time. And like, look, I've, I've been in the weeds and I've not done this at times when I needed to do it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, but it has to become like a common uh, just best practice that every marketer and every communicator does. Like if somebody doesn't respond to you in three months or six months, they need to be deleted off your list or at least put into an unsubscribe. One of my favorite communications I got from a, uh, uh, the Huffington Post, uh, when I used to be a blogger, was, hey, we haven't seen you open one of our emails in six months. Respond to this mm -hmm. or bye-bye. Yeah. You know, I think tactic. that's smart, right? It's a great tactic. Um, and, and then the one thing I was going to say about the whole technology thing, because it's funny that Facebook just published on LinkedIn today how uh, they're, they're publishing a video about all their struggles to address the, the fake news crisis, which is, you know, classic transparency, great awesome we, we're glad you're working on it uh, but you know the thing I, I i struggle with all this is that the medium's not the answer you know the answer is us when we start looking at this as a digital literacy issue mm -hmm. people being too freaking dumb to see like you know trump chases cats to the moon or whatever it is it's so outlandish that you know you think it's going to happen like the whole mystic pizza thing that happened here in dc yeah. allison i mean like I god know. Yep. You know, it's that's right by your house, right? I know, I know. I mean, crazy. crazy. I, I mean, remember driving by right after it happened, not knowing that it had happened, and we were wondering, like, oh, what are all these cops doing here? It's really <laughs> right? bizarre. And then, we, and then we got at home, and we saw the news, and we are like, oh, my God, this is insane. How could anybody believe this? Right. And, and like, the thing is, is um, – until we address that and until the medium addresses that, like saying like, Hey, yeah. what you're seeing may or may not be fake news. Here are some ways to determine how it is. I mean, instead they're, they're relying on the algorithm or shutting down the data and, and, and you know, technology, technological answers may be part of the solution, but believe me, people will figure out how to manipulate that too. And, and oh, sooner or later we're going to have the exact same issue. This is, it's an old game and until we teach people how to use media correctly and to understand what they're learning we have yep. basically an illiterate society using digital media ranting and polarizing each other into like little corners yeah, that's yeah. a huge issue
It's, it's certainly, I mean, I'll, I'll say that we're certainly polarizing each other into corners. And when we look at, you know, you say, you know, illiterate, which essentially means that you don't have the, the knowledge, right? Like you don't see uh, what's in front of you. Not that there's malicious intent, not that you see it's fake news and you're intentionally spreading it. Like you genuinely, like, I don't know what the story is behind Mystic Pizza. So maybe we should share that with any, uh, for any guests that didn't hear that story. Um, but, you know, basically it's like, the, it, who do you believe? Because what's happened over the last 10 years is that everyone's a publisher and everyone publisher and not everyone is held up to this journalistic standard, which I would even argue has eroded significantly over the past 25 years. It, you, it's hard to dispel what fake news is. I mean, honestly, like, thank goodness for Snopes, you know, because if it wasn't to have a place to go and search, some of this news looks legitimate. Right. Some of these websites look legitimate. And I think it's, it's both sides. It's like the consumer needs to be more aware of what's out there, but also as a society, we could do a lot to raise our own level of integrity of why are we trying to dupe other people? Like seriously, like, and, and for the sake of what money oh, agendas, <laughs> right? I mean, like all of like the like it was Pizzagate, all of these, and like what we saw during midterm. I'm sorry, during presidential elections in 2016, it was all political agenda based. How do you get? And it wasn't just you know happening on on one side of the aisle. I mean, both sides were absolutely guilty of, of spreading fake news. Um, but it was all based on a political agenda. How do we stir people up enough to get them to believe a certain thing or certain crazy things to get them to vote for a certain candidate? Um, so I think it's very politically motivated. And of course, when you talk about political motivated, you're also talking about economically motivated and, and all sorts of issues because that all goes hand in hand. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you're right, Jeff, in terms of, you know, the literacy that needs to be done. But then you're right, there's always going to be these agendas and ways to no matter like how much education, even if it's like taught in the school system, like since you were in kindergarten, there's always going to be these savvy marketers and bots and things that are so sophisticatedly programmed that are going to try and still infiltrate that and still try and sway people. So and they will, right? Issue to solve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but at least people would be coming from a better position of being digitally of, or being literate on, um, on, lit, on media literacy and trying to dispel what is real and what's not real. Right. Just because you know how a pickpocket may take your money doesn't mean you won't have your, your pocket and uh, your money taken out of your pocket. It's just, you know, just being savvy to it and protecting yourself. Exactly. A little more. I mean, but criminals have been around for as long as time and so have liars. Um, but I think more than anything, what we've, uh, I think the real shock for a lot of people is just the destruction of factual information. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, you can talk about science, for example, and you know, I may anger some people with this, but the fact that science is being assailed as uh, not a factual process is crazy because the whole 
thing about science is that you literally test things until you prove them <laughs> that they're right and you, right. you find you fail your way into facts basically but i mean if you think back all the way to the 17th century galileo being put in jail because he discovered jupiter i mean that's crazy right i mean this has been going on a long time it just happens we're, faster we're in a really interesting time of information because i mean even like the science example like what we seem to uh, not understand is that science is always a current understanding it's you know it's whatever we've proven up until now but it doesn't necessarily represent the whole truth all the time right and, it's you know, a big so mystery right it's like Thank you, Bill Nye. The <laughs> of science right it's like we're we know that we're still evolving and we know we're still discovering and you know like even you know we're finding that there's no matter you know like what does that mean as a society we find out that there's literally nothing at the center of the atom that that makes us up like what does that all mean so i think the the dissemination of information and what we trust in information tends to be the brand tends to be the uh, the like I'll say experience or credibility, whatever the you know you have a PhD or you have you know you've been in the industry for twenty years or whatever that may be. Um, but we have less trust actually in ourselves and being able to dispel something that's true or untrue, I find. And as I've been kind of unraveling all of this for myself, and I, I told you, you know, Jeff, like I turned off the media, I turned off advertising, I turned off all, all media for like a couple years and, and to really just deprogram myself. And when you do that and you start to see that, then it's really obvious because then you can look at it and you haven't been looking at it all the time. So you can see the ridiculousness in the headline. You can see that this is, you know, what do they say? If it, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, like they're pushing out violence and, and all of this stuff. But if you look at the percentage on overall of that, this is actually happening. We're generally talking about like less than 1% of the population you know, on the news right. and act like this is like happening across the board. I'm wishing for this kind of convergence of, science-based research to actually tell us whether or not what they're saying is even statistically viable in our reality or not, combined with integrity from people not projecting their own meanings onto things, right. their own stories, or their own core sponsors' beliefs onto things, and then partnered with the consumer who really has learned how to navigate trusting themselves whether or not something feels accurate or not you can feel whether it feels accurate but we just we've kind of turned that ability off <laughs> well let me know when you find that place <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it's coming i feel like it's coming <laughs> one of the things that i noticed um specifically as it comes to consumer trust just being in corporate america and having these conversations of wanting to honor like genuinely wanting to honor customers <clears throat> And being caught between that place of return on investment versus is there a return on intention? Is there a return on emotion of if I care about my customers, if I care about my customers, will they still buy from me? And it was definitely, it's a balancing act because there was a lot of things at play. We had internal politics at play. We had the measurement piece at play. And then we had 
you know, people on the other end that quite frankly, we tried to understand, but nine times out of 10, you know, we weren't the customer, like the people in the marketing team and the people in the PR team weren't the actual customer demographic that we were marketing to. And it's still, honestly, I love it. And, and I still don't understand it of like how you can have men in the bra industry, you know, because you're never going to wear a bra and understand what it's like to be a woman and wear a bra, right? Like, Come down to the pride festival, buddy. (laughs) I get get that, right? But like, if you're designing these bras for the comfort of women, there are certain things that you can't just think and experience. There's a big difference between understanding and actually experiencing something. The Conscious Marketing Podcast is sponsored by the Conscious Marketing Institute. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Are you ready to go further? Check out the latest free masterclasses and upcoming courses. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Am I striking a chord for you today? You can hire me too. Learn how at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Just click on services. And now let's get back to the show. You're designing these bras for the comfort of women. Right, I understand. There are certain things that you can't just think and experience. There's a big difference between understanding and actually experiencing something. And Can so I chime in with a, yeah. with a funny story that just happened this weekend. So there is a tech company that I happen to have been reading about in the post and it's a tech company that started as um, an application for physicians to track um, track women who are are pregnant, and it's a way for them to cut down on office visits, but somehow make the physicians more money. And I think that they do this by they must sell the app to like they sell the app to physicians who then probably sells it to their patients and they must have some sort of like, you know, freemium model and then premium model. Um, So this startup was founded by two bachelors, neither who have kids, neither who are physicians or OBGYNs or had any sort of like experience like, oh, my brother died when he was six months old or nothing. They come from like, yeah, they come from a data background and they just decided one day that they were just going to launch this startup that someone had it. This guy had an idea and his buddy decided to join him and they have raised $8 million. Yeah. And you're like, And, and that's because the VC community and the angel investor community is filled with, Men, exactly. Yeah. And so there's no women co-founders. There's a couple oh of women. Oh my God, friends are going to kill me now. I mean, insane. <laughs> and so all of these women are just like completely outraged because first of all, like, you know, cutting down on women visiting their OBGYN when they are pregnant is pretty crazy because a lot of women feel that, you know, when you are going through this, that you only get like, what, 10 minute appointments, 15 minute appointments. They may be several appointments, but they already feel like they're herds in this process. So now you're cutting down on that. Anyway, so many issues, but founded by two men who actually know zero about pregnancy. Right. Right. 
And it's so like as consumers, like we should see that and not buy their product. You know, like there's both sides of this, right? Like you start that company, I'm pregnant right now, I'm not buying your product, right? Right. But instead, we tend to not look at what is behind the company and behind the brand. We trust the advertising messages that were being sent about this company. And so this is an area where I think consumers can do a really great job of kind of pulling back the veil and saying, okay, before I buy, just as a general rule, I'm going to go to the company's website and look at the about section. <laughs> you can find out a lot in the about section. Either right. there isn't one, which is cause for concern, there's too much of one, or there's just the right amount and you find out that, wow, this is actually a really good company. And as we have this rise of conscious companies and more co-founders coming forward and sharing their stories about what their missions are and how they're giving back, not in these, these you know, we donate 5% of our profit up to $25,000, but we're going to advertise 5, 5% of our profit right. kind of arrangements, but we genuinely are part of a mission and we're, we're measuring our impact on that mission. And and that's really what I'm hoping that we can start to, as marketers, start to tell that story of like, what is the good your company is doing? Because it's real hard to trust you if the only thing you're doing is taking money, paying employees with it, having executives with multi-million dollar salaries, and then the infrastructure around you, you have homeless people in your neighborhood, you have, you know, like all of these things going on, or you're selling a, a, a product that is really questionable, like those are the areas where I think we can start to just pull back the veil as consumers, but also as marketers, you know, like we don't have to work for these companies either. Right. Agreed. Yeah. I think there's like a general, I mean, we could do a whole entire episode or five on the douchebaggery in the startup business. I mean, cause I think it's like a huge issue where people just start up companies to get rich or because uh, they can save big companies money. I mean, this is a classic example of, Hey, let's like screw over the general American health, not only of women, but our future, uh, because we can exploit data in a special way. I mean, right. that's awesome. And, and you're going to charge more for that. That's great. Right. But the thing that, that really strikes me generally within that space is just a complete lack of conscientiousness. I mean, there is no thought. It's all white guys just running around, starting companies, trying to get rich. And um, it's disappointing. It's really disappointing. Even when you do find brands that have a holistic uh, approach towards what they're doing, uh, I, I have found that the authenticity behind that mission is often lacking. It's just another way to try to make a bunch of money. Well, and you're really seeing this in, in two particular industries. Well, it's it's one industry, but it's all tied together, which is the cryptocurrency industry and the blockchain community. Right. Here what is have, that? <laughs> Block what? <laughs> you have this whole other contingent of tech entrepreneurs coming out largely male dominated. Um, one of my friends on Facebook talks about wanting, she wants to hire a bodyguard to go to investor meetings because she literally gets propositioned all of the time. Right. Only and girls in the room, right? They won't invest unless, yeah. They won't invest unless, you know, she comes in and does drugs with them that night or whatever, you know, like this is, it's it's a very interesting community, and this is not the whole community, but it's, it's an area where I'm seeing it run more rampant and more accelerated than I have in any others. So you have that happening behind the scenes, but then in the front, 
you have companies doing initial coin offerings and there's no company behind the offering. They raise millions of dollars from consumers who buy their coins because of the whole Bitcoin rage and they think that they're going to make all this money. But behind it is literally uh, nothing. There's no company. There's no infrastructure. And now, fortunately, some of these companies are being investigated and, um, and, and, you know, shut down for, this is consumer fraud. Like, I feel like, you know, when we have things like fraud happening, which yeah. in that case, it's like belligerent fraud, but in marketing, I would say that we also, um, we also do our own level of fraud, but with flowery language and, <laughs> you know, branding a feature that is just, you know, anti-luck break something else, you know, that kind of stuff happening, like, who is like, who's watching over all of this? Because I thought it was like supposed to be the SEC and the FCC and. Oh, not in this era. Forget it. <laughs> it seems like it's, it's the wild, wild West. And it doesn't even understand. I mean, our government doesn't even understand the implications of all that is happening in the tech sector. When we did our survey, we found that I think it was only either 23 or 28% of Americans surveyed felt that Congress understood any implications around online privacy and data. They had much more faith, very interestingly, in the Supreme Court. Yes. Which is, which is um, you know, quite an older court. <laughs> um, and so that was just very interesting to see that comparison. Um, that, you know, 23% had no faith in members of Congress understanding tech and implications, but they thought that, that the U.S. Supreme Court did. I wonder if it would be that, was this before or after Mark Zuckerberg's testimony? Um, it was after his testimony. It was, okay, I was curious yeah. because I would have expected yeah. it to go, like, even lower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that um, was, I mean literally like no understanding of technology and these are the people that we've elected to you know to basically make the rules about this stuff to make the laws and the regulations and regardless of which side of the political house you I sit know. on you know our privacy and our right to privacy is a pretty big deal and then when you start to combine this with all like you said companies selling our data without our permission the biggest offender in my opinion is Experian and all of your credit reporting agencies who oh, have yes. absolutely no consent whatsoever they rank and file you based on a number and then they sell your data yep. which fills my mailbox and I have no way to opt out of <laughs> you know like it's like what what do we do because I feel like on many levels as a consumer I, you know, we're marketers, we're consumers, we're all of these things, right? So like as a consumer, you start talking about the elections coming up in, in 2018, which is so mm -hmm. funny because I just had this whole conversation on Facebook with um, DJ Waldo, if you guys know him, about the elections coming up. And it's like, how can you even like get excited about the vote when you know the people who are running are unqualified to begin with to make these kind of decisions? And how do we inspire people who are qualified to want those jobs when quite frankly, they probably pay way less. Right. I mean, it's, it's not even that it's, it's the bureaucracy. Like there are some well-paying government jobs, but I mean, you basically have to conform. I mean, like look, look at all the people and I don't care which side of the spectrum you're on. If you're on the Republican side, you went through this when Obama came in, but if, 
if whatever side you're on, when an administration changes, you have to conform or you need to leave. And you're put under severe pressure to leave. And now they're making it easier for you to be fired, which almost never happened in the federal government. But, uh, I mean, the reality is, is that you are basically a uh, policy pusher if you're in the bureaucracy. And, I mean, I think, like, you know that, too. You live in the area as well, Nicole. This is the all-Washington podcast today, by the way. Or the, <laughs> the all-Washington corridor podcast. But, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just the way the system works. I mean, so uh, and most people try to duck below it so that they can do their jobs. I mean, I know a lot of people in the EPA right now that are just ducking, trying to trying to keep things together as best as they can, waiting for the next administration change uh, and, and trying to protect their programs. But I mean, it's just very, very much a, a policy issue, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, um, it's every side of the fence. And, you know, the one thing I say is like, you start looking at all of this and it's like, well, okay, we know all this is happening. That ultimately what this comes down to is that at, at our core, at humanity's core, we are struggling with integrity. We're struggling with integrity in our professional lives. We're struggling, struggling with integrity in our personal lives. And we're struggling with integrity within. And therefore, it makes it far more easy for someone to take advantage of us when we are having a distanced relationship with integrity within ourselves. We can be honest with ourselves and honest with each other. And we can build a movement of marketers who align again align with integrity i'm not into the whole against thing i i, I don't gen, tend to like um go into anti-movements i'm more pro things but you know if we can if we can combine as a as a group and say okay well we are all individual marketers and we've all seen this happen in our organizations we have worked for these companies every single one of us has been in a compromised situation in the workplace so what are we as a group going to do about it both ourselves and work as well as individually. You know, it's an interesting thing that you bring up. And uh, uh, maybe about nine years ago, uh, before we had a child, um, my wife and I were doing a lot of uh, uh, Buddhism, a lot of Zen retreats and things like that. And we actually got to meet Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a Nobel Peace Prize um, nominated uh, Zen monk. You know, he's, he's the classic example of being second, <laughs> right? Like, he's like, here's the Dalai Lama and here's Thich Nhat Hanh, but uh, he's written a lot and people that are familiar with Pima Chodron would be familiar with him. Anyway, so Ty talks a lot about uh, meeting people that are uh, in the defense industry or uh, in the tobacco industry that are in his uh, various meditations. And they say, man, I really want to get out. This is horrible what we're doing and all that stuff. And he says... Uh, to them frequently, no, we need you in there. It's better to have somebody that's mindful that's in these situations uh, that will not blow up somebody, that will not, you know, get rid of that warning label or that will be direct in that warning label uh, as opposed to having somebody that's, uh, you know, just completely exploitative. And I think like, uh, I think that there is, a, and, and I've been guilty of this again, I, I guess this is the confession episode for me, but uh you know, like in a lot of ways, you know, it's easier to run away. It's easier to go like forge your own path. It's easier to uh, say, well, I'm going to throw down my toys and not play with you anymore. But uh, I think that there is power in sitting and uh, doing the right thing. 
there's power in executing things ethically, as you would say. Uh, and, and there is the power of example. And I think that we often see, even though sometimes the bad guys win, they're miserable or that they get busted at some point or they fall on their face or they aren't held with respect. And when we, when we do things with dignity, uh, it, it can be a powerful example. Are you loving what Jeff is laying down? You should hire him. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. I really like seeing something happen that impacts people. There's nothing quite like building a product or a service or helping a cause where you get to see the customer or the end user really feel awesome or smile because this changed the way they think about the world. When you do something like that, that has lasting impact. And there's only three types of campaigns you can buy fundraising, product launch, or some major corporate initiative. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And now let's get back to the show. When we, when we do things with dignity, uh, it, it can be a powerful example. I love that. I think, um, I, th- I, I love what you're saying. I think it can be hard and challenging when you're in a bad company that is doing evil stuff (laughs) like for instance the tobacco industry and marketing cigarettes to kids right that was like a huge thing that industry did in the united states finally it got cracked on cracked down on um it certainly continues to happen um internationally and so you're right jeff like we need good people inside these companies to, to try and stop that and to, to change things within the company. But when you're going up against such big forces that the biggest senior leadership inside the company who has a very different agenda, it can be just very taxing on you and you feel like, what am I doing here? I, I, I can't make headway. I can't change this company. Um, so it's hard and, and I definitely, you know, feel for them in terms of like staying there and like not seeing the change that you want to see versus saying, screw it. I'm just going to go somewhere else. And like you said, forge my own path. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and like, like I said, I'm just as guilty of throwing down my toys and quitting. And there have been times too, when I've been an agent of change and I've been asked to leave and you know what, that's okay. Cause I, I'm okay being asked to leave when I've, when I've stood on principle. I, I also like I well I told you I was fired at seven and a half months pregnant with my daughter and it was a situation where I was asked to do something that I felt was unethical <laughs> it was like and it was it was like you know it compromised me and I said no and then it was like well then we're gonna have to fire you and I was like okay well that's your choice and I'm totally cool with that. And I, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened because I launched SME Digital at that point. It was beautiful. It, all, it always works its way out, no matter where you are and what choice you make. I noticed that it always works its way out. And we learn more about ourselves through this process. And even if we decide later we wish we would have made a different decision, the next time that decision presents itself, 
we will make a different decision. And you might not be able to have an impact in the tobacco boardroom where uh, there's, you know, just an unawareness of, and, and really, you know, as you said, a lack of consideration for the impact on humanity. There are many companies like this. We've talked about, you know, processed food companies. We've talked about soda companies before. So, you know, I have friends who work for these companies that I know are good people at their core and that they don't consider what they're doing harming another person. And so there is this thing with intention, you know, like it's one thing when you're doing this with intention. It's another thing when you truly are unconscious of it. You just aren't aware. It doesn't mean that all the signs aren't there. It doesn't mean that you couldn't know, but some of us choose that unawareness and to choose to operate from unconsciousness in order to make it through and being able to pay your bills and have a decent job and all of those things are really big factors in how we make these decisions. But we can rather than what I guess what's really worked for me is rather than looking at my past and saying, man, I really wish I would have done this or feeling guilty for not doing something or judging myself or shame or whatever, or even carrying in the fear that the outcome could happen again, just to know that every, every decision matters. And I'm making decisions right now. And the next time that it comes around, I can see now what I couldn't see then so I can make a different decision. So one thing I want to talk a little bit about related to this conversation is our jobs, particularly if you're um, in senior management or the CEO about personal responsibility. So I don't know if you you caught this. I know, Jeff, you're not on Twitter. Um, but Elon Musk has recently, in the past week, gone on this crazy tirade on Twitter against the media because he did not like an investigative report by the Center for Investigative Reporting that revealed very serious injuries at Tesla that were not being reported. And about a year before, there was also a lot of reporting about um, just the crazy work environment at Tesla, um, people working insane hours, um, getting super sick on the job, injuries, and no one caring or doing anything about it. Right. And instead of coming out um, over the last week about this latest report and saying, as the head of Tesla, hey, we're going to take a serious look at this and we are going to, you know, um, if, we, if we find that there are these issues that the report said um, that was documented, we're going to take a serious look at this and we are going to start addressing it. But instead, as the head of the company, he came out and said that it was fake news. And not only was it fake news in some like fake organization with some political agenda, which it is not. Um, it's a very, very established um, journalism nonprofit. He said he was going to develop a platform where ordinary people like you and I could publicly evaluate and score journalists. And he was going to name it after Pravda, which is after the former official newspaper of the Soviet Union. Then a couple of days later, he was having a conversation on Twitter and he asked everyone, who do you quote unquote think owns the media? Which everybody knows is, you know, 
a key word for anti-Semitism. That's always associated with Jews. And he claims, like, oh, that's not, not true. Like, Disney owns the media. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I, guess I didn't, I, I, my mind didn't go there. I was like, corporate America owns the media. <laughs> right, but back in the day, that's what it used to that's what people used to say. Who do you think owns the media? Who do you think owns banks? Right. Anyway, it was a whole thing. And it is just so irresponsible. It was the, the Post, CEO, wasn't it? The Washington Post? Um, who did the article? Yeah. No, it was Center for Investigative Reporting. Oh, wow. Um, which he said. He, which he said I, I did see it. I, I will say that anytime somebody vomits enough on Twitter, it does blow out into the larger world. Yeah. <laughs> I think that you know, you're gonna when you're a huge company, even if you're a small neighborhood company, there are negative things that are going to be said to, said about your company, whether it's a Yelp review or whether it's on the Washington Post or Center for Investigative Reporting. And you as a CEO need to be able to take personal responsibility for addressing that, whether you believe it or not, but you have to actually go out and, and, and take a look at these issues and address it and not lash out and call it fake news because you don't like to be criticized. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the uh, go-to trigger now for despots and sociopaths is to flip out and call anything they don't like fake news. And uh, I saw somebody do that in the federal sector who was getting, <clears throat> who hired a journalist actually to do content marketing. And the guy wrote a, a blog about all his unethical practices, which in its own right is kind of uh, anybody in marketing knows you just don't rat out the client for being a ratty client. You know, it's just. <laughs> Uh, or do you? I don't know. Based on our uh, last conversation, I think we've all thought about it like eighty times, <laughs> None of us have done it, right? Because we all want you know Maslowian priorities there. Uh, but uh, anyway, so um, long story short, it just is really easy to just do that, and it's mm -hmm. it's destructive. It's irresponsible. In the end, it makes you look poorly. And oh, yeah. I totally agree. Like in his case. I almost feel like with Musk, like he's so brilliant in some ways with Starman and all that stuff. He's really like a creative savant in a lot of ways, but in other ways, he's just completely lacking social grace. And yeah. it, it, it's sad. And, you know, again, it, it's just a, a, a pathetic kind of a time right now where anybody could just get out there and lie. Yeah. And it's, so it's interesting, though, because, you know, Elon Musk is he's an engineering mind. Right. So to say that he doesn't have social grace, well, he's not programmed for social grace. He's programmed to be able to go and create innovative technology. He's probably not a great manager either. You know? like, he, the, he's a really great engineering mind who happens to run some of these really big companies and he's learning social grace. And so you see it. Who knows? I mean, I'm is he learning. I don't know if he's learning. I, don't I think he's learning. He's learning learn social <laughs> he might not be actively pursuing it, but we could say it's definitely a bucket that he's going to have to work on somewhere in his soul's journey. <laughs> that's, like, that's like Steve Jobs, right? Like he reminds right. me of a lot of Jobs. Jobs was so freaking brilliant, but he was such an asshole. And yeah, yeah, and that's what to give a great freaking stage pitch. But but I also wow. think that it's <laughs> One of the one of the interesting reactions that I've been seeing from from people about Elon Musk, and it was also said about Jobs and plenty plenty of other tech giants, Mark Zuckerberg, same thing. Is I also think that people excuse them for their um, 
disgusting behavior and lack of any social skill because they're quote unquote brilliant. They're brilliant engineers. They've created these amazing products that billions of people use. Like we can't excuse this behavior. You have to learn to be a decent human being. And I'm sorry if you were brought up to be a decent human being, something happened along the way. But as part of being a CEO and a, a brilliant engineer, you have to learn to be the most basic skills of being a decent human being. And I think that we're really not seeing a lot of CEOs who just go after people in these vicious ways or just frankly are big babies that they can't handle some nugget of criticism like welcome to the world (laughs) (laughs) i mean honestly like the interesting thing about it um is like when so i like i just happen to know an insane amount of information about elon musk i (laughs) i look at his background like you say he has vicious behavior well his father was like a contract killer <laughs> so, oh, I didn't know so, that like, he literally My father was like, John Gotti what do you want from me <laughs> yeah, like, so, like when you start to like look at the human wow. behind Elon and you look at the human behind Steve Jobs and you look at the human behind Mark Zuckerberg There's all a of them have amazing gifts that they're bringing to humanity and all of them are human and all of them will make mistakes and we all make different mistakes and so if we can be a little forgiving for those who are learning these lessons on the other side as well as that they can acknowledge that there is learning to happen on the other side it would it would help to kind of harmonize all of this it's easy like i find when we see this kind of stuff it's it's easy to take a position of for or against mm-hmm. you know because it's like i don't want more of this and it's like what do you want more of and what do you want less of well i don't want more of this and so i'm going to take this anti-position but in understanding energy and just how things work taking the anti-position is actually fueling what it is that you don't want yeah and so what do, what do we want here? We want really conscious leadership. We want the companies with conscious leadership to win. We yeah. want consumers to know when they have a conscious leader. And we want companies who may not be conscious now to make the transition into being a conscious company. And so talking about social change and Allison with your amazing background in driving social change through the web, my question at this point is, how do, how do we drive that social change from the marketing industry, from the consumer perspective, where we are holding companies accountable in a compassionate and loving way, and at the same time, the firm way to say we're not going to spend our money or whatever that looks like? How do we hold and create account- 360-degree accountability for what's really happening and look for the solution of what it is we truly want? So... I think one of the, the ways that, that you get there in terms of, I'm going to go back to kind of like personal responsibility and accountability is I think that that really starts at the top. They are the decision makers of the company. They are the leaders. They set the path for the entire company. So if they really want to make a difference in consumer trust and accountability, these companies 
they have the tools, they have the money. And I'm talking about big companies. I'm not talking about little mom and pop independent jobs. Um, they have the tools, they have the money, they have the resources, the technology, and they have the people power to do it. And I think a lot of the, their employees want their companies to do better in consumer trust and are ready for the company to take the next steps. But when you're low on the totem pole or even you know, in middle management, it's hard to, to do that without the support from the top. And so that's, though frankly, is one of the key ways that, that you're gonna get there. It, it has to be intentional by decision makers. They have to really want to make that difference. And they do have, like I said, they have all of those resources and money and people in place to do it. They just need to pull the trigger. I was going to say, too, I, I think there needs to be a maturation, too, on what we consider. And again, this is the digital literacy thing. But there needs to be a maturation on what we consider to be news or uh, something that's worth really talking about. Because really, uh, what we're interested in right now is the spectacle. When there's a, a vomit on Twitter, if you would, again, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about the chief vomiter of the country. But, uh, I mean, when somebody throws out something out there like Elon Musk did, particularly when they attack the media, the first person to really make a big deal about it is usually a reporter. Uh, and, and the reporters are just as sensitive, I feel like, in this matter. Um, like, they overreact to any story where they get attacked. And, and I get it, right? Like, this is your well-being, it's your career, it's your profession, and you feel like you're being professionally undermined. Uh, but, you know, when we're attacking each other, too, when we're talking smack, you know, we're giving a lot of energy to this. We're giving it uh, through the media and we're giving it to the media by clicking on it. Um, right. And the media is going to stop reporting on it when people stop clicking on it. And, and we have to get down to like, is this worth talking about? Is this worth something that we want to really have a conversation about? Uh, is this something that's a teachable moment that I want to have a conversation about in my household? And like, we, we rarely talk about uh, what's happening with the government anymore uh, unless it's impacting my wife's job at USAID or unless it's like a serious human rights violation at this point. Uh, and it's because we're, we're just not willing to give energy to like the constant daily uh, vitriol that's just a, about attention. I mean, and, and to me, it's all as a reformed PR guy, so to speak, this is all about like the attention economy and people doing uh, whatever they have to do to get attention. Uh, I don't think Musk did that necessarily. I think he, as you had said, Nicole just had a gut reaction, but I feel like there are other people that are creating negativity. They're just exploitative. And, and, and you know, the media all treats it the same way, whether it's Musk or somebody else. Is this worth us discussing or is it more something like where, hey, Musk is uh, complaining about the way he treats people. I'm going to file a complaint with the Consumer Protection Bureau and then leave it at that. You know, I, I don't want to get into it anymore, if right. that makes sense. And when we get there as a collective whole, as a society, that's when change happens. Yeah, I think it really, it comes down to everyone putting down their weapons, if you will. And it comes from, you know, when, when something happens, how everything is about how we respond to it. You know, what our reaction to, that's the only thing that we can ultimately control is how we react to it. And so when you see that headline that's totally clickbait and a negative story, I always ask myself, like, is that what I want to create in my life? 
nope, then I don't click on it because you, what you read and consume and what you listen to, what you watch, it is what becomes your life. You start fueling that hero, villain, victim story into your life. And you'll notice that and we've said this before too, like you're surrounded by heroes, villains, and victims. And so if everyone can lay down their weapons and just say, Hey, we get it. We're humans. We fuck stuff up all the time, like all the time. We are constantly in a state of messing something up as we learn how to do something better. And so we, and rather than moving to a place of judgment for messing something up, because we know, we all know that we're fallible, then we can start to give each other the compassion we wish that we were given in the moments where we made mistakes. And I don't know about you guys, but I've had some moments where I've made mistakes and I was met with compassion on the other side. And I, I have never felt that much gratitude in my life than when my, my, what I felt was like a horrible mistake was met with compassion and love and understanding on the other end. So I guess one more question for you, Allison, if you don't mind, okay. we're, we're ending up here soon. Um, if in looking at marketers and as they kind of move and transition into working for better companies, into being, you know, more of the spokesperson for the company, into bringing consciousness into their organization. What, like, what do you recommend if I'm staying at my company? What is my, like, what should I do within an existing company versus if I'm looking for a new company? Do you have any really good causes or companies that people can kind of look at or any kind of tenants that I should look for that if I'm looking for a conscious company to work for, what should that look like? Or if I'm not in a conscious company, I want to raise consciousness. What are your tips for that? So I think if you are in a position at a company to create change, you're probably in senior leadership. Um, I would focus on what do you want your mission to be as it relates to some sort of um, you know, social issues, um, however you want to frame that. Um, how will your company make a tangible social impact in this world? Are you going to donate a percentage of your profits to a nonprofit that is mission aligned with your company and disclose exactly what you were saying earlier in the podcast um, that there are companies who say like, oh, we do, we donate 5% of our profits, but they don't reveal that they cap that at $10,000 or $25,000. Um, so being absolutely transparent about um, how you plan on um, donating your nonprofit, um, donating your profits to um, a particular organization. Um, another thing that you can take a look at is, is your product doing something to reduce, for example, your carbon footprint? Um, is your company doing something to eliminate the spread of fake news like we've been talking about throughout this episode? Um, what new staff, advisors, vendors who have experience in this will you hire or work with? So those are just a few of the things that you need to think about up front if you are looking at making changes inside your company and want to become more social conscious and mission focused. If you are looking for um, a new position that you want to join a company that is more socially conscious and mission focused, I mean, I would take a step back and figure out, you know, 
what what is important to you um, and that reflects your values? Are you passionate about environmental issues? Are you passionate about transparency and open source? So for instance, if you were um, passionate about transparency and open source, you may want to look at a company like Mozilla, right? It, this, this is exactly, uh, this is their sweet spot. And um, this is what they're passionate about, and this is what they work on every day. So looking for companies that really align with your values and, and really specifically the issues that you are passionate about and feel that you can contribute to is, is where I would start on, on that one. Excellent. Jeff, do you have any tips for anyone? No, I really think it's great. I mean, the only, the only thing I would add is like also talk to people that work there, you know, yeah. you know, if you, uh, if you can check with people to see what it's really like, uh, you will get a lot of insights that they won't tell you in the door. And, uh, I mean, I hate saying that for every, um, great brand, there are two that are out there saying, uh, things that probably sound good, but aren't necessarily authentically true. Right. That's life. Yeah. And I would say also like really, you know, as you were saying, Allison, kind of turning the mirror within to your organization and really taking an honest look and sometimes taking an honest look means that you have to recognize that you can't see honestly and objectively because you're right. in it. You're in the mix of it. And so you have blind spots that only someone who's outside of the politics and bureaucracy inside of your organization will be able to see. So if you can hire a consultant to come in and do an audit on your company looking for where you guys have room for improvement and where you guys are doing exceptionally well as a starting point, you can start to look at how your products are manufactured, how you market, your operations, the whole gamut. You can do a, a full audit and you'll learn a lot. And I think for many leaders, we don't really always understand what's happening in the ranks and files of the company. And so if you are a C-level executive and you're saying, hey, wait, I feel like we're doing a really good job and I feel like we have a really good culture and I feel like we're really on mission, perhaps stopping and saying, well, maybe it's time to just go under the hood a bit and actually check that. Another really interesting way to do that is by having secret shoppers come in, having people come and actually shop inside your organization, which 10 years ago, this was like starting to become popular. And, you know, we were, there was all these companies kind of popping up around this. I've never gotten more honest feedback than when I asked a legitimate customer about their experience that had no alignment with the company. So really looking to your customers to give you some insight and advice. And then uh, if you're looking for a job and you want to shift companies, I would say, you know, what Allison recommends is really good. Start to get clear on your own values. And once you know what your values are, look at what you want more of. You know, what is it that you want more of out of your next job than your last job? What do you want more from your company? What do you want more in your role? And then start to look for conscious companies. The good news is that the, this is a movement. You can look for, search for companies for social good. You can search for mission-driven companies you can search for conscious companies all three of those will start to give you a list of companies that you can uh, that you can start to look at and the good news is a lot of these companies offer remote positions now you know many of them have distributed workforces so we're less and less um, constrained by our ge geographic boundaries so with that I want to thank all of you for joining us thank you so much and that is this episode of the conscious marketing podcast we hope you'll join us next time thank you Allison. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye.
thank you for joining the Conscious Marketing Podcast and taking a look in the mirror with us. We hope you found you learned something new about yourself and have another tool to help raise the bar of consciousness in our industry. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to give us a review. Every review matters and helps another marketer find their way here. Want to have next week's episode automatically queued up for your commute? Remember to subscribe before you leave. We thank you for your support. Please go to ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com for show notes, links, and other awesome resources. It is our honor to serve you. Now, let's go change the world. Music for the Conscious Marketing Podcast is provided by Sophia Fleming. Please check out our new album, Collection of Reflections. Just search for Sophia Fleming online.